Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome, everyone, to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. Novak Djokovic is your 2023 Australian Open champion. He wins it for the record 10th time. It is his 22nd major, tying Rafael Nadal for the record. He is back to world number one. He defeated Stefano Tsitsipas in straight sets in the final, maintaining his undefeated record in AO Finals. Monday after a major, always a glorious time. I can't wait to get into this one and uh, a lot of big picture topics off the bat. I want to talk about what it means for Novak. I want to summarize the match. I want to tell you guys where I stand on Stefano Tsitsipas after this. I want to go through the things that were working for Novak in the match and then... I want to talk about some tournament-long patterns that I noticed on this Djokovic run. Starting out with what it means for him, well, first and foremost, meant a whole lot. I've never seen Djokovic so emotional after a victory. I think it had a lot to do with what happened last year and coming full circle, erasing those negative feelings, avenging that negative incident. And it must feel really good. He called it the most important victory of his career. He called it the most challenging tournament of his career. Now, the challenging part, maybe that also came into why it was so emotional for him. Potentially, that has a lot to do with the hamstring. Or maybe it was just emotionally challenging. Because at this point, the hamstring, to me, from my outsider kind of standpoint feels like more of a footnote. Now, certainly it dominated the early stages of this Novak Djokovic run because it was his biggest threat in Melbourne, not as much the opponents that he was playing, particularly in the first week. But by the end, it got better. And I think when we look back on the history of this, it's going to matter very little. It it will not be something that's going to be remembered very well because it did get better by the end of the tournament and he ended up he ended up really putting in a dominant run. Seriously, dominant. He only lost one set. Feather in the cap of Enzo Cuoco. Something to tell his grandkids. He probably should have been 21 and 0 in sets. It felt a lot to me like Wimbledon 2021 where you knew the form was good, the conditions were good, and the draw was good. You had everything going in his favor, 
and the the end, you know, it translated into a run where he seemed to be under very little threat. And lastly, his Australian Open resume is starting to resemble Nadal's Roland Garros resume. They they are the only two men to get to double-digit singles majors. And it's really in the same category at this point. I, I'm sure if you put the numbers side by side, Nadal has an edge there. But you know my stance on this. Uh, these small margins are really not the best thing to fixate on. At the end of the day, in terms of wow factor, impressiveness, dominance at a major, Nadal at RG, Djokovic at AO, it's pretty much the same thing. It's both absolutely mind-blowing. And lastly, uh, I like to kind of, I feel like I'm saying this every week, honestly, but he's on an insane run since Wimbledon. And after a first half of 2022, which was unproductive from a results standpoint and emotionally challenging, since Wimbledon, he's won six of seven events. It continues to be a really, really amazing run. Back to number one in the world at 35 years old. Final wasn't too competitive. Let me just run through it here. Uh, first set, Djokovic got the break at 1-2, and he never came anywhere near dropping serve in this first set. He was 30-love every single game. He lost one first serve point total. It did not feel like a competitive first set, even though it was only one break of serve. Second set got a little bit tighter. It was definitely the most even set. Djokovic had to play uh, several tight service games. And it was actually Tsitsipas earning the only break chance in this set. And it was not only a break point, but a set point. And it's a point that I'm going to go back to and break down in depth later on in this analysis. But Novak saves that. And they go to a tie break. It was a low quality breaker. It was not well played on either side. It got to four all, and Djokovic won the last three points of the tiebreak to win at 7-4. Third set, there were uh, boomerang breaks early. Tsitsipas broke Djokovic's serve, only time he did that all match, and then Novak broke in the very next game. And I actually thought it had a lot to do with Novak. I felt like he actually relaxed and hit some of his best ground strokes of the match after going down. The break in the third set, I feel like playing from behind for the first time in any of the sets just freed him up for a second there. And again, he he struck right back. So Tsitsipas never really had what felt like a real lead because it's not really a break if you can't consolidate it. And then from there, the holds get very, very easy. Really easy holds of serve. I felt the quality was super high for most of the third set, but the drama was really, really low. In the tie break, once again, Novak goes up 5-love, gets tight from there, loses a couple of championship points from 6-3, and then wins the 6-5 point to win the breaker 7-5 and win the match. It's another point that I will uh, take a look at. Djokovic in this head-to-head, -head, 
against Tsitsipas has now won the last five tiebreaks. The last five tiebreaks in this head-to-head. And that's like five breakers in, I want to say, four matches. So that's been a constant every time. He's just fighting more under pressure in this head-to-head. And that is why, even though on paper, this was not a blowout. And I'll get... I have more thoughts on that in a moment. This was technically not a blowout. There was a set point for Tsitsipas in the second. Third set went to a tiebreak. These were close sets, but because of Djokovic's dominance over Tsitsipas in every single big moment in this recent head-to-head, and now it is 10 in a row wins for Djokovic over Tsitsipas, it just didn't feel all that suspenseful for most of the match. That's how it was. So... What does this loss mean for Tsitsipas, and where are we at with him now? It's a great start to the year, and that's the perspective that is most important. He was tremendous at United Cup. He makes his fourth Australian Open semifinal in his last five appearances. This time, he takes it a step further, and he loses this final pretty decisively. But guess what? He's done better than a lot of Djokovic's recent opponents in Australian Open Finals. And I know that's hard to believe after a straight set final, which I just said didn't feel all that suspenseful. But it's true. He did better than Medvedev in 2021. He did better than Nadal in 2019. He did better than Murray in 2016. That's three out of the last four Australian Open Finals which means four out of Djokovic's last five Australian Open titles have come in straight set victories. Dominic Team pushed him to five in 2020, and that's a match that, in hindsight, is all that much more impressive for Team, even in a losing effort. So am I saying that it's kind of a moral victory for Tsitsipas? Am I, am I going soft on him, saying, oh, you, you, you didn't lose as badly as some others. Yeah, sure, I am. But my take on this, and stop me if you've heard this before, I said a similar thing about Rude after losing badly to Nadal in the Roland Garros final last year. And I feel like I've said a, some similar things about Berrettini in some of you know his losses to Djokovic or his loss in the Wimbledon final to Djokovic. Look, Tsitsipas is not Novak. He's not. Never has been. Never was going to be. He's not Novak. And I understand that the age thing is something that you look at and you think, well, Tsitsipas is in his prime and Djokovic is 35, so Stefano should win. Like, what are these young guys doing? They should win. It's just not how it works. It's not how it is because Novak is playing like the all-time great that he is, and Tsitsipas is not that guy. It's that simple. So to think Stefano should be expected to win these matches because of his age doesn't make any sense. I still think Tsitsipas will probably win a major. I don't know if he will ever get this close again to world number one. I feel the same way about, you know, about Rude, who was one match away at the U.S. Open Final. I mean, it is hard to get to number one. Very, very hard. I think it's it's easier to win a major than to get to number one. So I don't know. Uh, but 
I do think Tsitsipas will still win a major. I just think he probably needs to avoid Djokovic in order to win one of these things. That's what it feels like, especially off clay. I just don't think he's going to beat Novak in uh, in a major, especially off clay. So that's where I stand right now with Stefanos. Getting into the tactics. Um, a lot of my pre-match analysis had to do with Tsitsipas' backhand, how Novak was going to attack it, how Tsitsipas was going to attempt to defend it. And that played out certainly in this match in a lot of interesting ways. Tsitsipas' forehand versus Djokovic's forehand. That's also something that um, we will certainly discuss. I actually need to pull up my materials here because... I did not do that before I started recording. So give me just a second here. Um, I want to look at the set point in the third set. Uh, by looking at that set point, I'm going to be able to revisit a lot of the things I talked about um, before the match in terms of how Djokovic plays Tsitsipas in what I believe is the best possible way, the smartest possible way, and in a manner that's head and shoulders above what most people are doing against uh, Tsitsipas when it comes to baseline patterns especially. So uh, let's just watch this and break this down here. So this is, again, the set point. And it's going to start with a Djokovic second serve to the Tsitsipas backhand. And Tsitsipas is kind of standing about uh, a foot or two behind the baseline. And this kick serve jumps above the Tsitsipas shoulders. And before I get any further... This wasn't anything that I really wanted to hammer at home in my analysis of the match, but while we're here, I, I should mention it. I did not understand what Tsitsipas was doing on the second serve return in this match. It has been a, a constant critique of mine uh, tactically for Tsitsipas, but he actually moved in uh, against Djokovic. He was two, three feet closer to the baseline to return Djokovic's second serve. This was confirmed by Hawkeye versus what he was doing for the remainder of the tournament. Doesn't make any sense to me. I think Tsitsipas is a much better returner when he moves back, gives himself time to create more forehands, and produce the backhand. And allow the ball to drop down into his strike zone so that he's not taking it on the rise above his shoulders where he just can't get any strength on it. So... Of all of the serve statistics, the worst one for Tsitsipas, the worst one, was that he allowed Djokovic to win 62% of his second serve points. That is way too high. So, um, we're going to see Djokovic hit the kick serve to the Tsitsipas backhand. Bad return by Stefanos for a second serve return. Djokovic is... Going to be able to uh, attack a forehand. And because he's in an offensive position and he feels like he can try to get Stefanos to play some defense, he's going to go inside out. And Tsitsipas defends pretty nicely on his backhand here. Really well, actually. This is deep. This is a pretty heavy backhand. And this is the spot where almost everyone in a big point against Tsitsipas is going to go back inside out. And they're going to say, let's go to the weaker side again. Because from this position, everybody's afraid of the Tsitsipas forehand. They don't want him to hit a Tsitsipas forehand. This is where Djokovic is different. This is where Djokovic 
I think, tactically separates himself. There's no space on the backhand side right now to hit into. Tsitsipas is positioned really well on the ad side. He's deep in the court. He's off-center to his left. So Djokovic is not going to go inside-out to try to get it back to Tsitsipas' backhand. He's going inside-in. He needs to create some space. And he's not afraid of the Tsitsipas forehand. So he's going inside-in. And now Stefanos hits a running forehand. He's not going to do crazy damage on a forehand like this because he's on the run. So while everybody is so scared to go to Tsitsipas' forehand from this position, the fact is they shouldn't be. Because Tsitsipas on the run, yes, yeah, sometimes he can hurt you. But honestly, if he's hurting you on the run, too good. All right. Running forehand. Uh, it goes kind of central. Oh, now Novak has opened up space on the backhand side. Now we have a chance to get Tsitsipas to defend. So we'll go there. Inside-out forehand by Djokovic. And I, I do want to point out in this rally, both on the first forehand and on this next forehand coming up, Novak's a little tight. This is a huge moment in the match. So in terms of the potency and how flat he's hitting his forehand and how how fast he's hitting his forehand, Novak could have done much better in this point. In fact, I think if if this were a, a situation where he was feeling no stress, he would have finished this point a lot quicker. All right, so now he goes inside out. Look at it. It's not good. It's actually not a good inside out forehand by Djokovic. Tsitsipas is there. He is going to go down the line. Um, and now, once again, Djokovic needs to try to reset. He's got a forehand, and he needs to try to look for his pattern again. What is that pattern? Create space to the Tsitsipas backhand to find a ball to attack. So here's a cross-court forehand. He hits it with great depth. Now, this is an area where some players would get hurt. If you don't hit a good enough cross-court forehand here, Tsitsipas is very well positioned to do damage on the next ball. But Novak, master of depth, he hits it very deep. And Tsitsipas puts the ball back into the middle of the court again. Look where Stefanos is again. He's now on the deuce side. There is space to hit into on the ad side. So what does Novak do? I'm sorry, I'm a broken record, but this is how Djokovic is playing the point. And this is how he plays Stefano Tsitsipas. He's like a calculator, tactically. That's how Novak is. He knows what patterns are best, and he's able to execute them over and over again. So he does it again. And look what we have here. This is a, a slightly better forehand by Djokovic. And Tsitsipas has to hit an open stance one-hander. On the run, this is what we want if you're Novak. Now Djokovic can run around and hunt his forehand. And this is a pattern we talked about. Get Tsitsipas under pressure in his backhand corner and then hunt forehands. Now he's going to go one more time because this is such a weak ball um, on the open stance. Because it's a weak ball, uh, Djokovic is going to go inside out one more time and really hit it hard this time. This is his hardest forehand of the rally. Now Tsitsipas is deep into the corner. Uh, he can't go down the line on this ball because there's too much pace coming in. He he wouldn't be able to time he wouldn't be able to time that properly. He has to go cross court. Djokovic knows that. He's gonna hunt this next forehand. Tsitsipas puts a lot of air under this, but it's too central. He needs to get this more cross court. He doesn't. This is where it lands, right in the middle of the court. And at this point, mind you, 
Djokovic has hit how many forehands in a row here? Five, six forehands in a row? He's starting to get that, that feeling. That's what happens. You start to feel the shot better and better, and it is time. It is now time for the finish because now Djokovic has an attackable forehand and tons of court to hit into. Go to the Pass backhand, hunt the forehand, finish inside in. Winner, set point saved. That's the pattern. And by the way, on match point, what do we see? Pass backhand trade, cross court. Djokovic goes back cross court. This is good. Look at the precision. Look at the accuracy. Depth from Novak. Tsitsipas can't say the same. His backhand, middle of the court. Djokovic hunts the forehand, runs around, flattens it out, inside in. Tsitsipas gets there just barely, and he shovels it long, and that's the match. Another huge point. It's 6-5 in this tiebreak. Things are in the balance, and Djokovic finds that pattern. So, while most players are scared of the Pass forehand and they're getting predictable going to the ad side, they're allowing a player like Pass to get settled in their backhand corner, hit comfortable, stationary backhands, and hunt runaround forehands. While most players are doing that, Djokovic is moving the ball around the court and applying constant pressure and poking the backhand in ways where it feels like it's under pressure. And that is how you extract the weakness out of that weakness. And that is why, what have we seen from Novak? We now see an 11-2 head-to-head against Tsitsipas. We have a 4-0 head-to-head against Kasparud. We have a 4-0 head-to-head against Matteo Berrettini. What are these guys? These are the guys who have enormous forehands, weaker backhands, and have been in major finals in the last three years. They do not threaten Novak Djokovic because he just plays them better. While everyone else is playing checkers against those guys, Novak is playing chess. I actually think Tsitsipas had a pretty good day on the backhand. I think he hit his backhand very, very well when he was able to get settled on it and hit it from stationary positions and when he was not under pressure. I thought when he had chances to be offensive on it, it was pretty money. And I think he was trading it with a a lot of good quality. Often, it was the return and the defense where... It was vulnerable, and it will be vulnerable every single time. You know, Tsitsipas just doesn't have it in him to uh, defend well on that side. And usually, with with some exceptions, he doesn't have it in him to return well on that side. That is what Novak took advantage of. Not just the your average run-of-the-mill, no-pressure backhand trade um, because Tsitsipas' backhand was actually really good in this match at times. Uh, or in certain situations, I should say. All right. Um, you know, one thing it can never do, let me just point this out. Uh, the rallies that we just saw, Pass can't turn defense to offense with his backhand. He can't. So that's one area where even Pass on a great backhand day 
which I think this was. It'll never be great enough to turn defense into offense on that side. And that's why Djokovic hit a, a million forehands in this rally. That's why. All right. Um, quick thing on like the backhand return. Um, if you watch the third set tie break, it's a really good example of how the backhand return and the backhand defense just let Stefanos down. Uh, love all. Just want to run through this real quick because it's important. It's a tie break. Love all. And then I'll get to the second set tiebreak where Tsitsipas had a different issue. Uh, first point of the second set tiebreak, uh, sorry, the third set tiebreak, uh, Djokovic hits a service winner to the Tsitsipas backhand, which was completely returnable, and he just blocked it into the net. Um, and then at three love, so Djokovic grabs too many breaks, and now, okay, if Novak wins his next two service points, it's going to be a five love lead, and it's going to be really hard for Tsitsipas to get back into this tiebreak, and he's probably going to lose this final. At three love, Djokovic serves into the backhand. Tsitsipas doesn't block it this time. He actually drives it. He drives it right into the middle of the court. It could not be more central. Um, and then Djokovic hits a plus one forehand inside out. Hard. Lots of pace. Very penetrating. Very deep. And Tsitsipas this time goes to the slice to try to defend the backhand. And he doesn't put it in the court. All right, now it's four love. Let's go to five love. This time Djokovic goes out wide which he does plenty. On, on the deuce side, it's 50-50 uh, because he does want to pull Tsitsipas off the court at times. Um, and, you know, he's got a really great slice serve wide. It's probably his best serve. So he's not going to not hit his best serve. Uh, on the ad side, though, you get, oh, I can pull Tsitsipas off the court and make him hit a backhand return? All right. That is too good to pass up. Novak went out wide on the ad side 60% of the time in this match on the first serve. On the second serve, obviously, much more than 60%. So now at 4-love, uh, Djokovic goes wide. Uh, he gets a block return from Tsitsipas, potentially and probably because Stefanos was anticipating the serve um, to the backhand, so he had a backhand grip. Um, and then Djokovic hit a forehand inside out, attacking off of that plus one ball, and Tsitsipas should have defended on the backhand side. Should have neutralized, and he didn't. He hit the net. I think he he might have thought Novak was coming in because he hit this backhand really, really low, inexplicably. Because when you're playing defense, topspin defense especially, you got to lift up. You got to get a lot of height on the ball, and he didn't, and it hit the net. So I, I kind of think he thought Novak was coming in, and he was almost hitting a passing shot, but Novak was at the baseline. But there you have it. You know, backhand return, backhand defense. Hmm, not there. And it's five love in the tiebreak. It's over. But all that said, the bigger issue for Tsitsipas in this match was probably more so his forehand compared to Djokovic's forehand. I said in the preview that if Tsitsipas is going to win this match, the forehand needs to have basically an all-time day. Not in the sense that it needs to be better than it normally is because it's great all the time, but it needs to announce itself as the best forehand in the world. Otherwise, he's not going to win the match. And it, it definitely, definitely did not do that. Um, if you just look at the Infosys stats on the forehand for Tsitsipas, he hit 10 winners on it. He forced 22 errors. So let's call it 32 finishes, and he made 25 unforced errors. So if you want to, and look, I, I hesitate to lean too heavily 
on on the Infosys tracking like this, but this is a case where you're going to see an enormous difference. So it, it obviously paints the picture properly. Uh, so seven more finishes than unforced errors on the CCPOS forehand. It's all right, but it's really not great. It's only okay. How about Djokovic on the forehand? 14 winners, 13 forced errors. So that is 27 finishes, three unforced errors. You do the uh, the ratio there, and it's plus 24 for Novak. 24 finishes, three unforced errors. But how about that discrepancy in forehand unforced? 25 to three. You know, Tsitsipas needs to use the forehand as a weapon. He has to do tons of wep uh, damage on the forehand. We know that. But it, if it misses that much, he just doesn't get enough out of it. He doesn't get what he needs out of it, which is it needs to be there consistently every time. That's what a great, great weapon is. And uh, it just didn't perform well enough. Um, and, you know... Djokovic and his defense and his returning, he makes you hit extra ones. There were so many times in this match where where that were the case. And I mean, also the, the quality of the defense uh, has a lot to do with it as well, right? Where like, I, I want to show you on this uh, critical 4-5 game where I showed you Novak save the, uh, I showed you Novak save the set point. Here's the game point for Djokovic one point later where Tsitsipas goes forehand inside out and Djokovic is defending open stance backhand and he hits this so much deeper, so much harder than Tsitsipas from this same position is able to hit the ball on the stretch to the backhand. And now Tsitsipas, he thinks he's in control of the point. He thinks he needs to stay on top of the point. He tries to go inside out again, but he catches it late and it goes wide. Stefanos missed that forehand so often. He kept catching the inside-out forehand late. And the fact that he couldn't time it speaks to the pace and the depth that the ball was coming in at. Um, but also just the fact that he had to play some extra balls. At the end of the day, though, the forehand, it's got to be better than it was for Tsitsipas. There's no doubt about that. And for Djokovic, it should get a lot of credit. Look, I don't think it was as potent as it has been throughout the tournament. I don't think, I don't know what his average forehand speed was, but I don't think it was 81 miles per hour in this match. It was 81 miles per hour throughout the tournament, which is an unbelievable number. I, I would bet that it was down to 79 or 78 in this match. Again, I'm guessing it's not confirmed, but he, he just had a little bit more tension in his arm, understandably so, in this final. And as a result, uh, he wasn't getting the same depth or the same speed on it for long periods in the match. I thought in the third set, it got a lot better in that respect. Um, but it didn't miss. It didn't miss. And as we saw on that set point, even if Djokovic missed, you know, two or three opportunities to hit more potent forehands than he did, he was still able to stay on top of points with his forehand, with the way he was moving the ball around the court. Uh, and then, you know, I, I also need to mention if we're going to talk about forehand reliability and what a big factor that was in the match, you got to mention the second set tiebreak where on paper, Tsitsipas made five unforced errors and there were a lot of, a lot of 
forehand unforced here that were just unacceptable for Tsitsipas. In a big spot, in a tie break against Novak, you, you can't miss it. And I, I have it so many times in my notes here uh, at Love All. Djokovic, nice running, nice defending. Tsitsipas, forehand unforced air, which, you know, he just cracked it long, trying to build. Not under any pressure here. Uh, I have... I have a forehand unforced error at 1-2. Uh, I have a forehand unforced error at 1-3 where he tried to run around and his feet didn't get there. I thought there was some footwork that was sloppy on the forehand for Tsitsipas at certain points in the match. Uh, so now, you know, that's how I have Djokovic or Tsitsipas going down 4-1. Novak gets really tight in this tiebreak and suddenly it's 4-all. Djokovic hits a, a backhand unforced error, a double fault, uh, a missed return, which he should have had because Tsitsipas missed his spot. Three really bad points. Now it's 4-all. What happens at 4-all? Forehand unforced error by Tsitsipas. I have in my notes here. Can't miss it. Can't miss it. Then it's 5-4. Tsitsipas makes a backhand unforced error at 5-4 where he was trading and it goes long. Um, and then Djokovic hits a service winner at 6-4 and that's the second set tiebreak. Three forehand unforced errors can't happen in a tiebreak if you're Stefano Tsitsipas. Can't. The last thing I want to point out is not about something that Tsitsipas or Djokovic did in the match. It's, a, it's about what didn't happen in the match. It's about something that was absent, which is Tsitsipas net rushing. And this was one of my keys to the match for Stefanos coming in because my take was this. My take was that neutrality is not going to be a good thing for Stefanos. Djokovic is going to outduel him, outsmart him, dissect him, pick him apart, all of those things in neutral baseline rallies. And the way you avoid neutrality is you get one forehand to look at, you get one short ball or opportunity to approach to look at, and you get your butt to the net right away. Period. Maybe you serve in volley even. That way you don't even rely on anything attackable or short. You get to net. Tsitsipas in this match. 12 of 17 at net. Not nearly enough. I mean, I'm sure if he were to have his way that he'd be at net at least 10 to 15 times per set. And at the end of three sets, he's only at 17. He's 12 of 17. There's one thing I got to point out, though. In good conscience, you have to point this out. This has been a tournament-long pattern. Djokovic has played a lot of good net rushers here. He's played Alex Dimonor, who does his best work getting to net. Offensively, it's how he has to thrive. It's how he has to live because he doesn't have baseline power. So he has to come to net. Alex Dimonor, 5 of 9. In the semifinals, he played Tommy Paul. One of the massive reasons why Tommy Paul is now good enough to get himself in a semifinal match like that is because Brad Stein has gotten him to become such a frequent, athletic, and competent net rusher. And Tommy Paul said after the match, 
He wanted to serve and volley. He was supposed to get to net. That was in the game plan. 8 of 14. Tommy Paul at net. 8 of 14. Huh. So, Demonor 5 of 9. Tommy Paul, 8 of 14. Tsitsipas, 12 of 17. Not one of those players, all three of them, great net rushers. Tsitsipas, the best of them all. Not one of them was able to get to net more than 20 times in a best of five set match against Novak Djokovic. They are not all idiots. They're just not. So at a certain point, you have to look across the net at Novak Djokovic. And the way he holds the baseline, his court positioning, and his depth clearly has players feeling, his opponents feeling, like there is no chance to get forward, which is a huge problem. I would argue for Demonor and Tommy Paul, you just have to do it. It's inexcusable not to do it. Um, Joel Drucker uh said uh, that one of his favorite terms is find a different way to lose, find a new way to lose. And I think that's very much um, apt for Demonor and Paul. You could argue that for Pass, it's not so much in this match because he was right in the match. But if you look at the overall head-to-head, -head, having lost nine in a row to the guy, maybe the same applies to him. Find a different way to lose. But at the same time, you have to give it up to Novak Djokovic. He is taking... It's a huge pattern in the tournament. He is taking good net rushers and scaring them away, plastering them on the baseline where they are clearly inferior. That is all I have. Novak Djokovic, 22nd major, 10th Australian Open, 2023. Steve Flink interview coming, mailbag coming. Hope you enjoyed, everyone. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next time.